0: welcome to the psychosphere my name is David Sutcliffe and my guest today is Shaman Dave as I call him Dave is a Shipibo Maestro and for those who don't know the Shipibo people are an indigenous tribe living in the Amazon rainforest in Peru well known for their use of ayahuasca as a tool for healing In this episode, Dave talks about his life as a shaman, what drew him to work with ayahuasca and why he ultimately decided to retire. I had the chance to sit with Dave in ceremony on nine different occasions and I can say they were some of the most intense, terrifying, healing and expansive experiences of my life so it was fun and fascinating for me to be able to talk to him about his experiences as a facilitator of these ceremonies and how he thinks about and approaches this very powerful work please enjoy my conversation with shaman dave how are you man you're you're a you're a farmer i'm a
1: farmer i'm a farmer
0: (laughs) what are you farming
1: um i am far we but we um planted a food forest i don't know if you know what a food forest is
0: no i don't
1: a food forest is tries to replicate a forest so it's not so much gardening or farming but it's you're putting like all these different species of plants or trees that produce food in the event that we have a cataclysmic end to this earth i'm gonna have (laughs) uh cherries apples pears uh nuts um blueberries blackberries raspberries so basically just have food and uh, we have a vegetable garden with all that stuff too but the food forest is is kind of you don't really do anything to it it just kind of nourishes nurtures itself you barely have to water it because you put so much mulch on it Really? So that, yeah, it's pretty amazing. So it it's uh, that's one part of it, and then we planted hundred and five blueberry plants, and we just planted one hundred and seventy six lavenders. So we're actually farming though. That's a farm part. Uh huh. But where my wife has a organic skincare business, and she uses lavender in almost all her products. So we're like, we have six acres. Why not start producing stuff with it? So that's that's what that's what I've been doing for the last two months, every day, nonstop. How's that? It's I. You know what? I'm not a farmer. My only this is funny. My only experience in mass scale gardening and farming is I used to be a avid big time grow show grower. So I back before I came to ayahuasca in 2001, I had I was making thirty thirty forty thousand dollars a month growing marijuana indoor. Really? I, I had houses all around three two three houses going at all different times in the basements four five hundred. Plants in each basement. And that's how I came to ayahuasca. And when I came to ayahuasca, I I had to step back from that because I just didn't think they they fit together.
0: So obviously that was before uh, marijuana was legal.
1: Yeah, it was, it was the good times. It was like <laughs> when it was three thousand three thousand dollars a pound, right? Down to the states.
0: Unbelievable. So you've been working kind of underground for most of your life. Then
1: <laughs> my last real job was probably. <laughs> God, 2000, or yeah, 1999, probably.
0: Wow. And working with plants.
1: Working with plants. I had no interest in marijuana. I grew god 30 40 pounds a month I never I I think I smoked it once and I, I don't even remember if I did I'm just, I just say that to make it sound better but right I I, I didn't smoke'm I, I was not interested in marijuana I wasn't doing it for to be the marijuana cultivator producing the best weed I was doing it to make money to put my myself through Chinese medicine school mm-hmm. which which funnily enough Chinese medicine was what brought me to ayahuasca so you could say that marijuana is a gateway drug
0: to, to ayahuasca. <laughs> well, there's, there are similar qualities. The first time that I, I sat with ayahuasca, that, that was the closest thing that I, I could relate it to. And I know that, uh, well, especially when you ingest uh, marijuana, cannabis, it does have a, somewhat of a, a psychedelic quality to it.
1: Sure, for sure, yeah. I, I, it's never been a plan for me. Uh-huh. Never been interested in it. Um, I tried it about probably a month ago for the first time in 20 years, 25 years. Right. And I actually had an amazing experience. Oh,
0: which you Which is did. so fun.
1: Yeah, I, I had an amazing... My, my, I was with just me and my my partner, Rosie, my wife. And she she was like, ah, I don't really need to do this again. I was like, I, that was awesome. I, was, I loved it. <laughs> it was amazing. I, I don't think I'll do it anytime soon, but I really right. had an amazing connection to the plant. Like before I smoked it, it was you know, hanging out with buddies or whatever, but this was like, we, we smoked it and I just laid in, um, you know, complete meditation for three hours the both of us without saying a word. Wow. Yeah.
0: How is, how is post shaman life? And I will, you know, get to, you know, why you decided to, uh, retire. Uh, but how, how are you enjoying it? How long is yeah. it going on when it's six, six months or so?
1: Yeah. I made the decision No, on August 18th last year. So we're at about 10 months, nine, 10 okay.
0: months.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm happy. I'm really happy. I'm really content. Um, you know, it's been such an amazing, you know, eight, 19, whatever years it, it was in that work. Um, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It changed me. It changed every aspect of me. I'm grateful for every moment of it. And, and it was a lot. And, um, you know, I didn't really have time to do anything else. I was just constantly in this cycle of, you know, work and travel, and then recover, and then regain strength, and then work and travel, and just I just got stuck there. And it just came to the point where I was like, you know, my kids are. I have a ten-year-old daughter and a and a seven-year-old boy. and Especially my daughter, my ten-year-old daughter. I miss so much of her life just traveling. You know, right. I was just and, and it, like it's not it's not something I mean I can't say I regret it but of course if I knew differently I probably would have I probably would have changed something earlier but you know the, how it works right and and parenting is something that you just learn as you go but so I, I felt like really I just needed to put the attention into my family because I wasn't there for them and and you know from my work with Gabor Gabor Mate and my work with trauma I know the impact of a lack of or a non-present father, and right. I knew that, and 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 that's what drove me eventually to make that decision, and it was a hard decision, like, I'd been thinking about it for about a year and a half, you know, going back and forth, and I was, like, you know, just weighing out, all the options out, and then in July, I, I had a meeting with Bryant and Darcy, and, you know, Bryant's my apprentice, and Darcy was the organizer, and I had been talking about stopping six months earlier but then i said you know what i found this new kind of fire in me for the work again <clears throat> there's a passion still burning inside of me and that was in july and then um you know a month later i made the decision that decision was basically based on uh, i flew to toronto uh in the in the midst of the COVID thing and i hadn't you know i i wasn't really involved i don't go to town i you know i, I it wasn't really covet wasn't really a thing in my life it just i didn't really Give two shits one way or another. Right. And then I, I went on the plane, and some guy, some jackass wanted to fight me because I had my mask off because I was drinking water. And uh I hated traveling at this point, anyways. And when that happened, I was like, I like the way I see this COVID thing, this is just going to go on forever and ever up here in Canada. Yeah. You know, COVID 20, COVID 21, 20. I don't know what's going to happen. And, and I was like, I don't want to do this for my life anymore. I don't want to travel. So then I went to do the ceremonies and I just didn't have that passion in my heart and mm. in, in the ceremony. Like, don't get me wrong. When I was in the ceremony working, I, I can focus, concentrate, and I'm in it. But I found myself before ceremony, like, oh man, I don't want to go to work today. I don't want to do this. And during the day I was having these amazing conversations with people, like doing psycho psychotherapy sessions. And that was really feeding me. And then I came home and I had like five, six successive dreams in over the course of a week, and it was just so absolutely clear. And it became the easiest decision I ever made in my life. And people were just blown away. Like, how did you do that? I said, well, you know, for a year and a half, it was difficult. And then when it became clear that I had no other choice, if I wanted something different for my life, it was so easy. And, and then I, you know, I just started writing a book, um, you know, started planting this food forest, spending time with my family getting my strength in my body, sleeping eight hours a day for the first time in 20 years, uh, eating what I wanted, eating pizza. And, you know, and I was like, this, this is great. <laughs> and and you know, and just to finish this off, I don't want to talk the whole time, but um, you know, like for me, the next step, if I were to come back to the work, there's another step I have to go. And that step is is something that's gonna require a huge dedication, piece of dedication and commitment on my part. And I'm just not ready. I just did 19 years. I'm 44 years old. I'm not ready for like a really intense six month, one year strong diet, eating rice and potatoes. Like I, I've done it, and and I, I'm just not. I'm not doing it for the right reasons if I do it. So I know to go to the next level, I have to recommit, and I'm nowhere near wanting to do that at this time.
0: Is that is that what you felt like one of the reasons that you you you? I don't want to say you quit, but you let it go. Uh, was because you know you had to take it to the next level was there some next level there for you yeah
1: there I mean there was a number of reasons like I said family and right you know what I was dealing with with the work and um, you know this my whole lineage um, but that was a that was a piece of it for sure is that for me to go to this next level of healing and work I, I plateaued right like I had jumps along the way, but I felt like the last year or two, I was starting just to get a little, it was all becoming very monotonous for me. You know, I was just like, I was almost like the Costco shaman, right? I was doing 25 people a night and banging them off one people. And I was like, yeah, this, this, this is not feeding me the same way that it used to where, um, you know, it just became something that it became a job. Right and uh, and the passion was there and the drive to help people that never never went down, but the way I was doing it was was not sustainable for me I guess is what I could say.
0: I can also imagine living in that space in that headspace where you're drinking all the time, you're in that effect, you're working with people, you're staying up late at night. You're I mean we could talk about how you see the work you're you're channeling spirits and working with the underworld and shadows and all kinds of and that's quite a reality to be I mean I visit that reality once in a while when I go to a ceremony but to inhabit that full time all the time that must do something to you
1: yeah no I mean it was um and this is I think part of the 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 kind of the peace or the contentment that I feel right now and and just the space inside of me is when you're drinking, I mean, I don't know, 200, 275 times a year, it's not a whole lot of time for integration. Or like I said, you're just in recovery mode all the time. And, um, you know, I made that choice to do that. No one forced me to do that. That, that was that's what was in my heart was like, you know, I got a real opportunity to touch people's lives here. I'm getting so much for this. But then I realized like I've got so many lessons and teachings that have I really had the time to integrate them and really put them to play? Not really, because I'm, my life is just a one cycle of recovery. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this is now I'm learning to see who I am for from where I am now to where I was 20 years ago. And the difference in my body, but the difference in my perspective, the difference in my heart. And there's some things that are, you know, have changed greatly, and other things that need a lot of work still. But yeah, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's something else to be um, doing that work, you know, four or five times a week for for years on end. Um, yeah, what can I say? It's it's crazy, crazy powerful. When I look back on it, I'm like, I don't know how I did it
0: yeah I was always amazed at, at how much you guys were working and and the toll that it must have taken on you and but I mean my experience of you every time was I mean you seemed incredibly present and focused and uh you know the chants were always strong and uh really really powerful I mean I could feel your dedication your commitment uh to what it was that you were doing the integrity that you brought to it which is why I I think you probably built up such a, a big community of, of people who, uh, from what I saw, approached the work very seriously, who came to do deep work. And, and then, of course, the, the isolation retreats, the diets, and, and yeah. the, the amount of people that would show up for that. I mean, you must feel proud for the community that you built, a powerful, powerful community of amazing people. You know, um,
1: I mean, I, more, I mean, I, maybe there's pride of what I feel more than anything is just gratitude. Mm. Um, you know, I just got shivers when I said that just, it's just incredible. Like literally the, the, what ayahuasca did for my life in general, but the community abroad, like not only did ayahuasca give me like, you know, lifetime, of teachings and incredible cleaning detoxification Moments of connection, but it gave me thousands of brothers and sisters or close right. friends. Like literally, you know, I'm, I'm I don't even know the numbers, but you know, the, the, probably you know it's close to ten thousand people I've probably met in this work, and the, the, the just the quality of the people I was meeting and the inspiration that they gave to me by the healing that they went through. So that is in my heart. Like when I sent out the email and all, I'm stepping back. The response I got was I was left in tears like, you know, seven or eight times a day reading these emails like uh, of, of people of the impact of not just me, but the, the work in general mm-hmm. from the medicine, the plants, the community, like the, the team that we put together uh, of saving lives. You know, when yeah. I started, I thought, wow, if I could help one person the way that I was helped. Uh, from ayahuasca then wow what what a gift but then i'm talking thousands of people that i've been able to help through that work and you know what i i i'm so still up so so much a part of this community as i was when i was drinking the medicine mm-hmm. like you know i'm I, i'm doing an online course right now i don't know if you if you saw the invites but so i i'm i get to sit every sunday with 40 people from all around the world who would drink ayahuasca with me and i get to talk about the plants and get to talk about the work and get to talk about my life story, which is so amazing to me that people are interested in my life story, even before ayahuasca, people are like hanging by a thread, listening to what happened to Dave in 2003, 2001. And that's just amazing to me. And and, because I didn't share a whole lot about myself because, um, you know, and there's reasons for that, the way I was taught and this kind of more private place that, that I came from. But then I, that's, that's the other thing. I was like, you know what? I'm just one of you guys. I was Mm -hmm. leading the ceremonies, but I'm, I'm learning from you guys as much as you're learning from me. You you are inspiring me as much as I'm inspiring you. There was never any exchange, but then I never really got to tell my personal story because it was always like, well, David, how are you? How was your ceremony? But I never talked. No one said, well, how was your ceremony? If they did ask me how my ceremony was, I would just say, well, it was okay. I never expanded on it because how do I explain what I went through? So now I get to write this, (laughs) write this book and do this course, and I'm getting to talk about, you know, 4,000 ayahuasca ceremonies that I've never talked about before, which is mind blowing, right? Like I get to relive these experiences that I, that I totally forgotten about.
0: Well, what do you go through when you're uh, facilitating an ayahuasca ceremony as the shaman? I mean, I know that's a broad question, but I know that you're holding a lot for the group of people. And people are also projecting a lot of things onto you. You're sort of the, on some level, unconsciously, the father. Okay. And, oh, and, I mean, a lot of different things, I guess, you can be uh, to people. Um, you know, the high priest in some sense. And you have to kind of hold that for people. But you're also a human being going through your experience, have, you know, have your normal life. And how 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 is that for you? I mean, and also you're drinking. I mean, that was the first thing that... Kind of blew me away. The first time I sat, I was like, oh, the shamans drink too, you yeah. know? And I was like, oh, they're in the effect. And how do they, how do they, I could barely hold on. How are they navigating that effect and well, using it? It's a, like, it blew me away.
1: Well, I mean, you know, when I started, I could barely hold on too. Right. And that's the, <laughs> that's the training and that's the diets.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and it's, it's like, anything like martial arts, right? When, when you first learn martial arts, if you are any kind of practice like that, you, you're not very good. You suck. Yeah. (laughs) Through experience and training and and, and then you learn the ways to do it. But yeah, you know, like the the ceremonies were always intense for me. I'm extremely sensitive person. I need very little ayahuasca and I'm completely in the visionary field very fast. You know, Um, when I started, I needed more ayahuasca in the last five or six years. I don't think I even needed to drink. Uh, You know, the effects were always just 24 hours a day for me pretty much. Right. Um, Especially when I would do you know, long 25, 30, 30 ceremony, uh, in a row, like these long retreats down in Yalapa, I think when you came to, yeah. to one or two of them, right. Like we would do 20, 25 nights in a row. You're just in the medicines there's yeah. no in and out. You're always in, even during the day, you close your eyes, you're in it. Um, but it was always very intense. Uh, I'm a very, like I said, very sensitive person. I feel energy very easily. So it was always a challenge for me to to create that boundary for myself to be, um, to be in a place of empathy for each person, but not take it on, um, to keep it, keep myself clear, to keep that filter within me clear. Um, when my filter is dirty, then other people's energy gets stuck in my filter. So I always had to keep going to work. There's many times I got sick, you know, I was in over my head doing bigger healings than maybe I should have. And I had to learn how to do that. Um, but you know, I, I, I learn ways to just be so focused in ceremony and so concentrated in that first hour or two when the medicine brings out everything for everyone. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm in my breath, I'm in meditation, I'm trying to just keep that connection to the light or to God or creator, or whatever word you use that, that, that was my main focus just to stay in that place amidst this sometimes very malevolent evil energy that would come around um, in the world. And so, you know, I had, I had my ways, I had my tools to be able to stay in that. And, um, you know, once, once you get out of that first hurdle, the first hour or two of really building the, the connection in the ceremony, then it's just a matter of, you know, using that vision to help people and, and, um, you know, uh, that's what you're there to do. You know, you just, you go to the place of just, just giving everything you have to help someone get better.
0: Say more about like you're, you're building the container in the first hour or so. Like what, how are you thinking about it? Like you've got a room full of people, they're all drinking, they're all going into effect and you're now have to help them navigate this space. They're, they come for healing. And what, what, what are you doing at that point? Like, what are you thinking? Like what's, what's, what's your job at that point?
1: Well, I, you know, at the beginning it's, it's really just about um, opening that connection, you know, through prayer. I'm just, uh, this, even before I chant, it's just in that prayer, in that place of heart space connecting. Why am I here bringing in those helpers that I use, um, you know, grandfathers, grandmothers, plants, whatever, you know, God, creator. Right. Bring, bring that energy close. And then the ayahuasca goes into the people and starts to bring out all the shadow all the light and shadow yeah but it, you know the shadow is what the challenge for people so the shadow comes out the ayahuasca brings that out and then it's it's all about the vision all about using all your senses you know not just the vision auditory you know kinetic sense and to start to see the picture the puzzle of the ceremony where is the energy coming from who perhaps is the most charged has the most charged energy in the space and then in the chanting, starting to uh, kind of find that balance of building the connection to the light and cleaning the dark. And you always find sometimes at the beginning, it's so dark and so intensely, you know, malevolent. You got it. You, all, all you can do is just clean the energy, get some space from that darkness and then go to the creator and go to God and bring that light and that divine energy and and start to wash away the dark as well. So this is about finding that balance. Um and and that's all it is. It's just this kind of dance between the light and the dark.
0: And you're using the chance to clean. You're using the chance of the, the words and the vibration to deal with the energies in the room to try to to clean or connect or or, or whatever it is. Is that exactly is that what it is?
1: Exactly. So the shapivo, which uh-huh. um, is you know the majority of the chanting I used to do in my later years. Um, you know, cause we used to do catch one, of course we did some Lakota, but the Shapibo was, was kind of the, um, the go-to style of chanting for real heavy cleaning and surgical kind of work. And, and so those concepts that we use are, are mean, like literally m- literal meanings of words or meanings of ideas or metaphors to very poetic, uh, language as well. And so, you're just using those concepts to start to move the energy and clean the energy, clear the energy and uh, break it up into little, you know, smaller pieces and then put it all together and then clean it and put it away somewhere and, and then bring the light in and then, you know, see what happens after that with the next person or later in the ceremony for them, for that, for that same person.
0: Did you, do you ever get scared in ceremony, like overwhelmed, like you, you get lost in, in what's happening?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I don't. I. I don't think it's something that any practitioner. The that, that I, I've seen in this work that doesn't go through. Like, you know, I, I remember this one. I told this story on my course last week. I was doing a, um, a retreat for the, uh, a local First Nations band up here, um, or First Nations tribe up here in Canada, and you know the trauma the trauma is there's no words for what they went through and i remember this one in particular this this man he was 7 years old and he started smoking crack with his mother and father at 7 years old and he was in his late 60s he'd been smoking crack for 60 years and it was like they you know I, and and this this is just one person of 20 people and so i did a ceremony in in a longhouse with them and um, i remember this one moment where I literally felt my life could be taken from me. It was this real intense energy, just death, you know, death and destruction is what, and that's what they're, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, a lot of what they went through as young children and to residential schools. And, and that was the energy around me. It was just complete uh, hopelessness. And I felt like if I let my mind slip for half a second, that quite possibly I'd be, something serious would happen to me. So I just couldn't let it slip. And then I just went to my heart with everything I had, everything I had in my prayer and found that voice and that chant to to just, you know, create that absolute connection to divine energy and, and life, not death. And so that, you know, that's one example. And I remember there's been a number of examples like that where I felt like one slip of my mind, one lack of concentration and something serious is going to happen. Um and you know, very sinister energies that come around, especially when they're associated with those heavy types of trauma.
0: That also must've been part of, of like the burden is you're constantly working with shadow energies and, and, and people's trauma and that, like that becomes your reality all the time. I mean, as a healer, like you're faced with it constantly. And, uh, that's a lot to carry. Did, did you struggle with that or like, how did you manage all that?
1: Yeah. Sometimes I would feel the burden of that. And that just became my ego because I, my ego was like creating the story that I had to be the one to do it or put all this pressure on myself that I had to do it. And I would let that go Um, in time with experience. I could only do the best I could do. um, And I just gave everything of myself. I give everything. And if, if that's not enough for that person, um, that's between them and their creator you you know you can't do right. it for everyone in fact you can't do it for anyone it's always a it's a it's a team effort between me and between them um, so yeah I mean I think you you find that inspiration I mean when someone is going has such a difficult life and they're in so much pain and suffering I drop that story I'm like this person needs help why right. I don't care you know like you make that choice as many times in the chant i've had to make that choice like no i i I can do it i will do it for this person with god's will we can we can help this person and let go of the story that you know uh if i don't do it then i'm not good enough and all the self-esteem stuff right
0: so you started i mean you were a young man when you got into this in your early 20s what are you trying to say i'm not young
1: anymore
0: (laughs) very young man
1: It's okay. I got gray everywhere. Twenty um, plus years, right? So yeah, I'm 44 now, and I think the first time I drank, well, it was 2001, right? So yeah, do the math. It was 20, 24, 25. June 1st. I was June 1st, 2001. No, sorry, no, 2003. First time I drank
0: in in Peru or in in Peru. Yeah, you went yeah. down there. You'd heard about it, and no, so. Do you want me to get into that yeah, story right yeah, here? if you okay. if you want, for sure.
1: I got a I got I got a long version or a short sure version. Which which version well, you want?
0: Well, we got we'll time.
1: Do the, we'll do the medium. Yeah, the medium. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I I I came from middle middle class suburbia. Um, you're from you're from Vancouver, right?
0: No, I grew up in uh, Ontario, just uh, south of Toronto. I was oh, born you, in Saskatoon, but yeah.
1: But you spent time in Vancouver, if I remember yeah, correctly. yeah 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 I worked there so, a bunch. So I came from a town uh, called Pitt Meadows, which is near mm-hmm. Maple Ridge, out in the Fraser Valley, hour and a half east of Vancouver. I grew up in middle-class suburbia. My parents were comfortable, um, a very, very uh, run-in-the-mill kind of childhood, and um, I, I wanted something different. So at like 19 years old, 18 years old, I decided to go traveling, and I I went on a trip to Australia, New Zealand. Then I came back, worked, saved money, went over to. England, lived in England for some time, then I traveled Europe, went into the Middle East, into um, you know Syria and Jordan, Turkey, Israel, and Northern Africa, Egypt. And then I came back, saved some money, went on another trip to Southeast Asia. And I got really sick in Southeast Asia um, traveling, you know, and eating all the kind of vendor food on the side of the road. And I came back and I was sick physically. And then I also... Was just like mentally sick. I was like, what, you know? I just saw this amazing, all these amazing sights and met these incredible people. And I come back home, and my best friends want to tell me about the new, you know, F250 they bought or this new fridge they got. And and I was like, wow, this is this this was tripping me out. Like I was, I went into a major depression. Didn't leave my house for about eight months. Wow. My friend, my friends couldn't get me out of the house, and uh, so I thought, well, the only thing that really makes me happy is traveling and seeing new places. So I was scheduled, I, I decided to go to university to just uh to go study political science, poli sci to become a diplomat so I can continue <laughs> traveling the world as right. a diplomat. Two days before I'm supposed to start Simon Fraser university to get a poli sci degree, I drive head on into a huge Dodge Ram carrying a 30-foot trailer. And I was driving a Toyota Tercel. So my car just crumpled and flipped and I survived it. And, uh, but I was in rough shape, you know, major whiplash back problems. So that brought me to Chinese medicine to see see an acupuncturist to lift, to help me lift the depression. I was very much connected to my physical body. I was kind of like, you know, athletics and sports were everything to me. And I Mm. couldn't all of a sudden do any of it because my body was in such pain, right? So that brought me to Chinese medicine. Um, I started to study Chinese medicine on my own, on my own, and then I went into TCM school down in uh, Victoria, British Columbia. And then in my second or third year, I was like, you know, what they're teaching me in TCM is not so much what I'm looking for. I'm looking for more of the spiritual, more of the connection to like the barefoot doctor in China. So I started reading books, and I found this one book by uh, Dr. Andrew Wheel, who at the time was this you know, foremost naturopathic uh, um, practitioner, alternative medicine, had a school in New Mexico. And in that, he talks about going to the Amazon. He doesn't mention ayahuasca, but he talks about going to the Amazon. And that just sparked something for me, like, wow, I'd like to go see how these shamans work with plants. And so I was out walking with my best friend at the time, and we were hiking, and I said, hey, I'm going to go to Peru. I was in the middle of a Chinese medicine school. I had a semester off, like the summer off, in between semesters. And he said, well, I'll come with you. So I'm like, he's like, when are you going? I'm like, two, three weeks, I guess. I had lots of money, right? Because I was growing marijuana at the time. And so I jumped on a plane, went to Peru and we're, you know, going around Peru, seeing Cusco and Machu Picchu and all these amazing sites, you know, we're having fun, we're partying and then we have a week left and I bump into this guy who tells me he just got out of an ayahuasca ceremony the night before and it was... The worst night of his life. He was in hell. He shit himself. He puked all over himself. He said, "Whatever you do, do not do it." And my <laughs> my answer to him, if I was probably sane, would have been like, "Okay, thanks very much. I'll take your advice." But I was like, "Where where do I find this?
0: <laughs> wow. Where where
1: do I go?" And he said, "No, no, like don't go." And I'm like, "No, no, you got to tell me. I, I, this is exactly what I need. This is what I've been wanting." And <laughs> that sparked a little, you know, interest in me, and then. I was in northern part of Peru on the surfing village. And this uh, local Peruvian guy I got to know, sitting on the beach one day, and he was in, his, in this depression. And he hadn't surfed in six weeks. He hurt his back. And I said, hey, man, like I don't know what I'm doing with acupuncture needles. I'm, I've am i been training for a couple of years. I can give it a shot. I'll throw some needles in you, and we'll see what happens. And then the next day, he comes running up the beach. Dude, I just surfed the first time in six weeks. My back is 100%. Wow. And so, like, I got lucky. I stuck the needle in the right place somehow, and I worked for the guy. And we became super connected and close. So we would talk and just hang out. And he's like, I asked him what ayahuasca. He's like, oh, yeah, I know ayahuasca. I've never done it, but I, I know ayahuasca well. Like, people have, and you know, a lot of people have done it. This is where you need to go. And he said, you got to go over the Andes and then go into the jungle, into a place called Poto, which is the high jungle of Peru, um, it's not the low-lying Amazon basin where where I later did all my training with the Shipibo. This is with the Quechua, the, the Quechua, the um, the Inca, the kind of the high jungle. Mm. Anyway, so I did a 24-hour overland journey, you know, with chickens on my back and people hanging off me. You know, truck breaking down every two hours. It was disaster of a road trip, and then getting there. And long story short, as I got myself to an ayahuasca ceremony. And I had one vision the whole night. I had a parasite at the time from tra- like traveler's diarrhea. and yeah, so it wasn't an enjoyable experience, but I had one vision. and in that vision, my my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, we've been together two years. I was madly in love with her. and she, in this vision, was just crying in the mountains and and I could tell there was something not right. And I hadn't talked to her in a week or two and we were fine. As far as I knew the next morning, I get out of the ceremony. And I go to check my email to go right to her and tell her that I just did the most amazing thing. And she's uh she writes me an email. Uh, I can't go on in this relationship anymore. When you come back, it's over. So I right there, my heart is broken. Like I I'm, this is like my soulmate. And uh, so I'm broken. And the next night there's another ceremony happening. And I go into that next ceremony um, and this, the first ceremony was with a guy named Francois Damange, who was in a, a French uh, apprentice. And the, the second ceremony was one of his, one of his teachers, uh, a Quechua healer named Orlando Chofendama, And I drank with him. And in that ceremony, I, I was the guy rolling around on the Moloka floor. There's only two people in the ceremony, me and my friend. And I was screaming, you know, wailing for help. And I could not remember the girl that I was madly in love with. I couldn't remember her name. I couldn't remember anything about the relationship. I, I all of a sudden I was just in the present moment, and time it just kind of vanished. So I came home from those ceremonies back to Canada three days later, and I was in a place of like temporary enlightenment. I was just mm. like, I just everything was just like I don't know if you've seen the mo- movie Limitless. Mm-hmm. It was like that. Everything was yeah. just like awesome. <laughs> everything was just open and connected, and uh, so. Francois Demage wanted to come to Canada to lead ceremonies. And I was a Chinese medicine practitioner, so I knew people in the healing arts. So I put together two ceremonies. As far as I know, no one else was doing ayahuasca in Canada at that time. Uh, traditionally, there were people out in the East, out in Quebec that were using the Santa Dimate, but mm-hmm. no one was doing traditional ceremonies in Canada. So I put together two ceremonies of 12 people. And then we those people that came to the ceremonies wanted their friends and family to come. So Francois stayed on for there two more nights. And then those people wanted their friends, friends, friends and family to come on. So we extended this trip again and we did like seven nights in a row. And all of a sudden the ayahuasca world was open and I became the guy that everyone wanted to contact to get into an ayahuasca ceremony.
0: Wow!
1: So I got myself a blackberry. This is 2003 and my, my phone was ringing off the hook. My email box inbox was full 24 hours a day and ayahuasca world exploded in Canada and that was how it
0: started. That's incredible. So you really at the vanguard of it.
1: I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, th- in the ceremonies, I was the, I was the helper, right? Yeah. So I was the guy in, in the ceremony because I had two ceremonies under my belt. So I became the helper. Yeah. <laughs> and the way Francois worked was that you drink a full glass and you help. So right. <laughs> I'm, I'm drinking a full glass of ayahuasca, going to the bathroom to, to clean people's, uh, when they shit themselves. Yeah. <laughs> And then come back in a ceremony, and go into my vision, and and that was the only guy that I knew that had drank ayahuasca. And of all the people that were coming, I was the only guy that had the experience. So I became the helper, and Francois was by himself doing all the work.
0: That's an amazing story. And when did you make the decision to uh, pursue being a shaman, which is a whole other level of it?
1: Well, so that was 2003, and then I think in 2004. Francois held a social uh, an isolation diet mm-hmm. up in BC. So I did a diet. I was drinking all the time with Francois and then he took me down to Peru and I met his teacher and um, then I started doing longer social diets three, six months. So when I went down to Peru the first time in 2005 is when I made the des- decision to ask if I could apprentice. And then, then I was then that became my whole existence. I was or, organizing ceremonies right. every every two months with Francois. And then every month in between, I would be going down, taking groups of people down to Peru to the center. So I would take groups of 15, 20 people down for mm. t- two weeks down to the center in Peru. And then, yeah, bringing Francois back to Canada and his teacher. And that was it. You know, it was just nonstop.
0: Had you ever, like, Sung or chanted before?
1: No, I. You know, people. Will, people who knew me back then would probably be the first to tell you I. I couldn't sing worth a, a lick. I was, I was so self-conscious. I was like, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I was just. I, you know, it took me years to get that first chant out in a ceremony without being without being self conscious and just being like shy and stuff. But the plants, you know, the plants gave me the confidence. They gave me um, a style, right? It gave me a style. It gave me a resonance. And over the years, it just kept changing and morphing and and learning as I go. But I wasn't a singer. I wasn't even really a musician. I used to play keyboards and piano and stuff when I was a kid, but. I wasn't, I wasn't a musician in any sense of the word.
0: And what is it about the plants? Like what, like explain to me the relationship between the shaman and the plants. And, and cause obviously ayahuasca is what's well, a combination of two plants. And you, when you're talking about diets, you're talking about, you know, for those who are listening, who don't know, you're, you're, you're dieting with a plant, different plants, different master plants. Uh, what, what is it with the plants? Like, what, what is the relationship? How do you work with them? Like, just tell me a little bit about because it. it's. I think it's it was confusing to me when I first heard it. You know, the plants. What do you mean? Um, you're drinking this plant, and it has this intelligence, or it has this quality, and it's going to heal me. And now I understand it. But at the beginning, it was very confusing and a little odd to me.
1: Well, I... You know even just talking to the plants it just generates this just love like i can just feel it right. through my whole body it almost gets teary in my eyes just talking about these plants and to find words what they do and how they work I, you know that may be the hardest part of my job right. was trying to always find words and language to to describe these experiences with these you know magical beings but the way I best way I've always seen it is that each plant is just, it's got its own way. It's own per, almost not personality because it's not, it doesn't have an ego, but it has a way of working. It has its own kind of um, feel to it. And like, like when you get to know someone, it takes, it takes a, uh, it takes time, right? It takes time to to generate that relationship and build that relationship. And sometimes when you just drink a plant for the first time, it's just like, wow, it's like coming home. Like, like meeting someone that you just connect to right away Mm. and that can happen too but it you know it all these plants all they do is they put you in touch with the true you the true essence Mm -hmm. of you the higher self of you um that's always the way i've seen ayahuasca it's not that ayahuasca does something to me ayahuasca just allows me to connect to what was already inside of me that is right we all have access to um, but we have a hard time getting there because of the mind and the trauma and all the obstacles that we create in our, in our lives. Um, but, you know, just endless numbers of plants and plants literally have changed my life one by one. And, you know, all the time I catch myself saying, Oh, that's my favorite plant. And then the next day I'm like, <laughs> Oh, this, but this plant, this plant's amazing. And then the next day, like it's happening in this course, cause I teach about the plants and I'll right. be doing it. But this plant has a really, you know, and, and they're all just so incredible. Um, the medicine of them. And when you think of plants, they're the most sensitive beings on this planet. You know, you can, there's research that you can connect to a plant 800 kilometers away by thinking of it and the plant responds and produces hormones or, you know, some type of activity that shows that you're thinking of it. And this is what plants teach us to do. They kind of, they return us back to that ultra sensitive place to be able to be super conscious, you know, to be, have this incredible connection to everything, you know, and all plants are connected underneath the ground. So there's this interconnectedness that happens and, you know, uh, I, I, there's, there's so much I could say about them, but the, the love is deep.
0: It's the one thing that I know a lot of people say, like when you have the experience of working with these plants and, you know, in ayahuasca in particular, um, what it shows you is more real than the real world. That it, somehow we think it's a psychedelic. It's taking you on some trip somewhere. It's like, no, it's showing you what's real. Like, we live in the illusion and we buy into it and we believe it. And that's, and it's because of uh, believing in that illusion that, that that's what creates our suffering. And it's, and yes, it's our, it's our trauma and, and the way that we've been programmed uh, that keeps us stuck in that. But it's like, like seeing what's real. And that's, that's the thing that I always try to articulate to people it's like, no, it shows you what's real. It shows you like a deeper level of reality. I'm sure that goes deeper and deeper and deeper. The more you do it, the more study you do, which is really, uh, you know, there's nothing um, in some sense that's unique about it. It's like it shows you that everything is one thing, at least in my experience, that everything is connected and that all separation is an illusion and having an embodied experience of that. A true embodied experience of that is so deeply profound, and you can never forget it. You can like it's always there, and it's you know especially in the way that that you work in the Shapibo tradition. Um, it can be absolutely terrifying. I mean, my first when the first time I heard you chant, I had not been in a Shapibo ceremony before. I'd been in ceremonies that were more. Kind of like daime ceremonies they were yeah. they were derivative of Santa Daime ceremonies. So it's a lot of kind of guitar and upbeat music and, and some gentle songs. And they were powerful ceremonies. They're out in Joshua Tree in the desert and the land mm-hmm. was powerful. And I got I got all did a lot of deep work. So I didn't really understand what I was getting into. And then once you started chanting, I mean I immediately was like, okay, this guy is uh, is some evil alien. <laughs> That's what I thought. Like he's he, he. I don't even know if he knows he's a he's an alien, and this is some alien technology that he's chanting into me that is going to make me a slave. Uh, this is what was going through my head. Like this is what I had to work through the first time I heard you. I didn't know what was going on, and then it was like it felt like it was like burrowing through my body, like Pac Man, like. Rah, rah, rah eating and I just kept saying you know the only thing that got me through it was uh, uh yes thank you yes thank you yes thank you yes thank you. <laughs> thank you like that was my prayer to get me through it and I was just hanging on and there's there's something about the shappeo chanting and and your chanting in particular that, that it just goes right through you and you do you you literally feel like when you say I'm cleaning, And people, you know, maybe if they've never had the experience, they're like, what does that mean? It's like, no, you feel like you're being cleaned out, like literally being cleaned out. And it's, and it makes sense to me because if you're getting cleaned out and it's sort of dissolving your ego in some sense, right? Like your ego is hanging on. So my ego is creating a story. Like, of course, if you are chanting and it's blasting my ego it's trying to dissolve my ego and get me to the truth of unity my ego is going to turn you into some kind of enemy some kind of evil being and that's what it did and i had to work through that it still happens to me even with my friend tete who you know i live with for two years i'll sit with him and he'll start chanting and i'm like "Uh uh-oh he's he's an alien Uh uh-oh he's like it'll still come up and it's just fascinating to see so It is, uh, I mean, like, and I've seen it in your ceremony. It's like people just, you know, losing their minds and screaming out, um, I guess with, you know, terror because all of their stuff comes up and you are uh, just relentless. Like it's unbelievable how strong you can go for how long. And uh, like, it's just, and it's also incredibly beautiful. Like the sounds that you make and where they take you, like the world that it, that it exposes you to, both light and dark, it's just, it's unbelievable. And I, I mean, I'm i am sure you've got all kinds of feedback from people all the time, but um, it's just, it's just... <laughs> the first it's, time
1: I've ever been calling an a, a evil <laughs> alien, though. <laughs> well, the
0: sound, I didn't know, I don't know how else to contextualize it. It just sounded it so alien and like that i was going to be enslaved and it was it was the most terrifying thing that i'd ever experienced i mean and then what happened is you guys uh then you sang some lakota songs and that changed my life like just fyi and i know you know that like i just sat up and i was like what what is this (laughs) and i'd obviously heard lakota songs before but i never heard it in that context and there was a way that you guys were singing them very gently very softly very beautifully And I just, there was like a part of me, I just wanted to sing along. Like I I had to sing along. And I was just instantly trying to, I didn't know if I was allowed to sing or not. I didn't fucking care. I was like, I'm like gonna try to figure this song out. And then I got home to LA. Right after that, this was all happening in Yulapa and i got an email two weeks later from somebody that i that i knew saying oh there's a lakota song class starting with yoshi and that was five years ago and um i just sat with yoshi in a ceremony on uh, last saturday night and we sang for like an hour and a half together it was just like one of the most beautiful uh, experiences of my life so thank you for uh introducing me to all that but uh Yeah. I don't know what the question is, but just the, the, uh, the, I guess, well, I guess it's like, do you think about like your style? Do you think about like what, like what, when I, and I know there's different chants with different people and you're, you're chanting to people you're chanting to the group at different times and you're chanting to individuals when somebody sits down in front of you or you're feeling into the group, like you have a group. And as you say, you can, you kind of sense what's going on in that room in that moment and what may be needed. Is, are you, are you, uh, is your chant responding to that? And you're trying to do something with the vibration, affect things in a certain way, guide it in a certain way or break things up or clean or, uh, you know, push out the evil spirits or call in the good ones. Like, is there something you're thinking about and doing as you're chanting?
1: Yeah, I would say all the above. You just nailed it. Um, there's so many different types of chanting or chants and should there's a, you know, there's a chant for everything. Right there, There's a chant to, you know, to be able to put protection around yourself, to travel with ayahuasca. There's a chant for um, to clean something your father did 40 years ago. There's a chant for your grandfather. There's a chant for everything. And it's just learning that. And the reason why the Shipibo for me is so amazing is that it's all in the moment. They're not, I mean, don't get me wrong, those Lakota songs, those Quechua songs are know heartfelt incredibly powerful songs like they're they are life-changing songs um and they serve an amazing purpose and and then also especially with ayahuasca because it's such a present moment thing that when you're working with someone it's like a feedback loop that person's presenting the vision for you and then so you're just changing as you go you're improvising using concepts and any part of the language you know so the more language you know then the more options you have, and that comes with time and experience. When I first started learning shiatsu, I knew very limited number of words and concepts. And as I grew in experience and knowledge, I, I I could have a person with a, you know, an imbalance or disease or sickness, and I could have so many different ways of working with that, depending on <clears throat> previous experiences and how they worked and how they didn't work. And are you um,
0: seeing that in front of you? If somebody sits yeah. down in front of you or lies down in front of you, and they have some trauma are you seeing it as a vision? Or are you feeling it in the field as an energy? Like what, how are you? Yeah. All of the above, Right, all of
1: the above, right. It's, you got to use all your senses. You got to use your eyes to visualize where, um, where in the body there's the block uh-huh. or the, the sickness. How did it get there? Is there a vision? Is there a sexual abuse, physical abuse? Is there some kind of Energetic attack. There's so many different places the illness can come from, um, and and then to you know to feel it. Okay, what does it feel like? Sometimes my body would show me where the pain was by putting the pain in my body, right. or where the sickness was. So you're using all aspects, all parts of yourself to be able to look at a puzzle and see. Okay, there's a person in front of me. a Piece of the puzzle is missing. Maybe there's like a soul loss or there's a break in their energetic field through a surgery and mm-hmm. why, what happened. And it's just about piecing that puzzle together. And so at different points in your career, uh, the vision is more clear, or, more, or sometimes it's not so clear depending on the ceremony, depending on right. how, how well you maintain your body and your connection, how many diets you've done. But generally speaking, the more experience you have, the more comfortable you are in the vision.
0: And one of the things that's interesting is that people talk about it like a technology. And we think obviously of technology of like modern technology and computers and, 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 uh, you know, medical technology and advanced technology, but in some sense, like the chanting and the medicine, there's like, it's its own, it's got an intelligence to it. And there's a kind of technology to the healing and, uh, and there's a methodology and there's a philosophy that is very, that is informed by the plants and is it's very, it's very deep. Like, there, and I guess that's the thing that's most interesting to me because we think about like the technology we have in the world right now and AI and all of that. And I'm always like, that is nothing like compared to like the technology and the intelligence that is in the natural world that you, that you feel get accessed in these moments, in these ceremonies and to be able to channel it. And it's, you know, and that's why it's a hard thing to talk about because it's beyond the rational mind. It's like a felt sense, but when you're in it, you know that it's true. Like there's no doubt. There's no question. There's no, it's not a delusion. I mean, somebody outside there, ah, oh, these, you know, these crazy ayahuasca hippies, you know, but it's like when you're in it, you can feel like the depth and the truth of it, and I know that, you know, if I had, you know, if I broke my arm or something, okay, I'm going to go to the, the hospital and, and and get it reset. But if I have any kind of illness, like I'm not going to the hospital, I'm going down to Peru, <laughs> drink some medicine and so get worked on because it's like it, it gets to the core energetic state of things and it get and to rebalance me because, we're you know, it's so easy to get out of balance through diet or through just the stress of modern life. And, uh, it just, I guess I, there's something about the word technology that I find so interesting to equate to, um, to this work. And, um, like, do you think about the chants in that way? Like, like the, the complexity, cause also your chanting has a, uh, like it, it feels very specific, like, like you're really working almost like, like it, it's like incisions, mm-hmm. like up and down and cleaning and going in these places inside and there's something, uh, very unique about like how your, the vibration that you make goes into the body. Is that something that you think about or, or like, did you develop your own style? Like what was the evolution of you learning to, to chant?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, no, I, I, like, I absolutely do see the chanting in the way that you just described it. And it, there, there's so much mystery in it too. And it, it's, it's sacred, right? Like <clears throat> talking about it is such a difficult thing. Like, yeah, it's, it's such an experiential thing, but the power is in that, in that sacred of this language and um, you know, the hundreds or thousands of years that people that did this, that came before me and before this modern time, what they carried on the knowledge they possess and so, there's just a there's a and 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 in saying that everyone has their own individual way of doing something, and this this idea of style, like at the beginning for me, you're so self conscious. At least I was, and most people I know are. You're so self conscious. You know, here here I am under the throes of ayahuasca. I can't even touch my nose, let alone you know string words together in an ancient language, um, with 25 people's heavy trauma. Yeah. around you or coming at you and it's a skill like uh, as as much as it's an art it's a skill to be able to do that and to be able to find your voice in that so at the beginning you know i i, I was learning from my teachers and, and kind of copying their styles right and that got me going but what i soon realized is that everyone has their own individual style and my personality comes through my style. Yeah. When you say that word relentless, that's a word people use all the time when they talk about my chanting or my style. And one of my Lakota names I was given is the, is the the sitting badger and the bad, (laughs) this badger is this relentless kind of energy, right? It's just like, doesn't give up, you know, it'll just go into the, into a nest full of bees and get stung a thousand times, but still get its honey, you know? And, 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 and that, that's kind of my personality. I, I go to ceremony to work. I go to yeah. there to dig. I'm not there to, you know, sound good. I, at the beginning of my career, I was more trying to sound good, get people to like me or like my voice or like my style. And then I realized, you know what, that's not my personality. I'm, I'm more of a, I, I, I became much more efficient much more uh, concise in how I was doing things. And through my training in, in traditional Chinese medicine and other other modalities of healing, I just I just gained the ability to just get more uh, focused or concise on where the healing needs to happen as opposed to just sounding good or making f- people feel comfortable. You know, I use Lakota and I use Quechua and that's one of the reasons I use it is just to bring that element of like, light and comfort for people yes um uh, but i appreciate it yeah and i know (laughs) i know people do and yeah and and there it's very powerful like to bring in this full connection to creator and grandfathers grandmothers and the midst of the throat and the throes of ayahuasca to bring that connection it's very powerful but you know the people for me when that was really trying to do that surgical uh concise healing i just wanted to get in get out not mess around you know, not n- not entertain. I wasn't there to entertain. I was there to work, and and go on to the next person that that was ready for healing.
0: Are, are, do you miss it?
1: I miss elements of the work, but not enough to light that fire. There's an occasional time in the last eight or nine months where I, I've had a client like doing a, a psychotherapy session with someone or integration session. And I just know I can help this person in one right. ceremony, and this fire burns in me. But, um, I you know what I miss most is the camaraderie. I, it's probably like what it would be for like an athlete who retires. Just right. like you miss being around the locker room. You miss being yeah. around the the almond butter and blueberries after ceremony. You know, right. That's, that's what I miss more than anything. I, I missed that level of healing that happens as well. Like I'm, I'm, I'm always going to be around healing no matter if I come back to work or not. I get so much out of just watching people grow and learn and heal. So, um, you know, that inspiration of seeing someone whose life's on the line that, that might end their life if they don't, you know, get that healing that they're, they're praying for. And then to see it happen, like there's nothing more gratifying yeah. in, in life than that. So I miss that aspect. But like I said, I don't miss the, Five o'clock bedtimes. You know, I don't miss the um, feeling like I'm exhausted. Flying on a, a home on a plane from Eastern Canada after four nights of you know hard serum. I don't miss any of that, right? Yeah. Um, I have drank three times in the last nine months, and and that was six weeks ago. I didn't drink from August until April, and uh, I have drank three times in the last couple months which has been interesting, you know, to go back to the work after so long, it was just me. I just drank on my own mm-hmm. and uh, it all three times it helped me it helped rebalance me. I was used to drinking ayahuasca, you know, so often that it was constantly cleaning me and I felt like I just needed some doctoring and cleaning and which, which it did for me.
0: And so you, when you drink on your own, you'll, you'll chant and yeah. sing as, as you feel called to in those exactly. moments. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Chant
1: and, you know, maybe a, a dream in the dream time giving me some information of what it, what energies around me or my family, and to clean it and and uh, meditate. And you know, it's all it's it's such a big part of me to work with that plant, and um, I just couldn't do it in the in in the way I was doing it before.
0: Do you have thoughts on on like what's going on right now? I mean, obviously, since you started, um, ayahuasca has become uh, popular it's like everywhere now and people are talking about it doing it making movies about it and do you is there how do you see that I mean obviously on one level it's 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 good I would think you know uh, more people have access to it more people are aware of it is there any concern that you have about the way ayahuasca is being used or or talked about
1: absolutely you know yeah I think it there's good and bad it reminds me of like the whole yoga community too, right? It's like, you know, yoga is a great thing for people, but then when you have people that misuse or, you know, misuse their power in yoga or ayahuasca or anywhere, people get hurt. Yeah. And, and nowadays you can go down to Peru and you get off the plane and Hey, come to my center with my uncle. He's the best shaman. And then, you know, you find out he's drank 25 times in his life and they're just right. pulling money, money from you. And then, of course, you have this, you know, this abuse of power for the, the male shamans over fem- female participants. And and that is a whole thing. That's just it's a it's a really, really. And, and it's not ayahuasca and it's nothing to do with the plants. It's the human freaking yeah. mind. That's the disease. And everyone says, well, ayahuasca is da- nah, not dangerous. Ayahuasca is a plant. What's dangerous is the human mind and the need for power and greed. And that is the problem. And that for sure concerns me. Um, Just unqualified people doing very, very difficult, dangerous work. You know, if if you're gonna go see a heart surgeon, you you want your heart surgeon to be experienced, well-qualified, well-trained, or well-looked after by a teacher. But now you got people who are just, you know, they think they can become a shaman in a year or six months or two years. It's, it's a 10-year process. It really is a 10-year process. And and that's going intensely. That's not you know yeah. part-time, that's full-time. And uh, uh, it's not the case anymore. People are, are just wanting to be the shaman for the wrong reasons. Maybe they wanna go and helping people, but I think if they don't do that inner work, then they're just doing it for the accolades, for people to say, wow, you're amazing. You're chanting, oh my God, you saved my life. And, and people love that. It just feeds that ego.
0: There's a lot going on in the world right now. I know with COVID and and it, it, and post Trump and there's a lot of discussion. You know, the lockdowns and the uh, uh, maybe the overextending of uh, power. And uh, I, I, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are about that. And you don't have to get political, but just maybe even more on a on the psycho spiritual level. Um, like I, I feel like there is an awakening happening. More and more people are waking up to deeper levels of truth about the nature of reality and the lies that that are embedded in the culture, and uh, which is a good thing. But probably with that waking up, that's when the shadow comes on strongest, and and maybe that's what we're seeing. As more people are waking up, you're going to see the shadow powers come in and try to control things more and more. Is is that? Uh, an accurate analogy or at least from your perspective
1: absolutely um you know for years we've been hearing this is a crazy time the powerful time and and it was all the part of me that that you know believe that that there is something happening There's was all the part of me is like wow i don't know for me i just look at humans and right the, gen- the mass population that just look asleep to me you know yeah um you know, I'm a drop in the pond for the amount of people that i touch in this world and and try to raise their consciousness, you know, and this whole COVID thing, um, you know, I I, I was in Toronto March 21st when the COVID thing hit last year in Canada. And um, I flew home, there was like three people on the plane, everyone thought they were going to die at any given moment. And I got home and you know what, I went and drank. I drank two nights by myself to see what COVID was. Yeah. And I, and I got my information and my information came from the spirit world. My information then came in the dream time for the, for the days after those ceremonies. And the information for me didn't come from the media. It didn't come yeah. from other people influencing me. And what I see now is that people are being influenced by, for me, the government is something that I don't take my information from. and I, I don't, I don't have trust for the government, the media. I don't trust the media. The, for me, they haven't been trustworthy. And the Western medicine in my life has not been something beneficial for me. And from what I've seen other people, there's a place for it. Like you said, for a broken arm. So those are the three sources driving what's going on. And there's a steady stream of fear that comes with that. And so what I tell people, I don't have to give my personal opinion on COVID or anything that's going on, but get in touch with your own dream time. It's more important important than what the experts say. This expert thing kills me. Yeah. Who is the expert? Who says they're the expert? Who are they funded by? The only expert is your higher self that will give you the information you need to move forward in your life. Hence, moving to Austin, Texas. The the expert didn't tell you to move to Austin, Texas. You connected intuitively to what you need to do for yourself. And, And, you know, this whole vaccine thing. If you feel like you need to get the vaccine and your higher self gets the vaccine, then do it. But for the people that don't have that same message, let's let those people decide for themselves as well um i'm a big believer in you know really trying to live from not a place of fear you know into a place of trust and connection that's what i've been taught and in all my medicine ways and what i see is people living in a a real real fear from a real fear place which which i think is the next level of conscience that we're going to go to is you can't live from that place of fear it's it's not a it's not a open expansive place to live from
0: no well fear as i see it is is the seed of evil uh you know unconscious or unconscious expression like ultimately if you're motivated by fear you're not you're going to do bad things right. and uh so people who are propagating fear i'm I, I try to stay away from yeah and and push back against um what what did you see when you if you don't if you want to share like when you drank and and you contemplated COVID. What what was it for
1: you? <laughs> well, what I saw was I saw flags of countries. So I saw the Chinese flag, I saw the Italian flag, um, American flag, and so when I see flags of a country, uh huh. This I don't know how to explain this, but the way I see human beings, there's no countries, there's no lines, yeah, and, and this is this whole. God, this fiction of our imagination is just we live in us versus them it's the human species there's no flag so when i saw flags i say okay what's behind this yeah i didn't look to see if this virus the the the, the danger of this virus i look to see what's behind that virus what's behind the vaccine yeah. that's where i'm looking i don't even need to say it here publicly what's yeah. what's what's behind this and yeah. this is this is um You know, those, that's for people to find out themselves, but that's what I saw. Um, And and then I saw the fear and I already saw the fear on the plane when I was with people that were like, you know, wearing gas masks and hazmat suits. Is that the, is that how you want to live? You're Mm going to die at any moment from an invisible force.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: Not for me, not for me. And so, you know, I made a choice right there, which route I was going. I'm going to, I'm going to tap into my heart and I'm going to let my, my dreams teach me on how to, you know, navigate this very, very concerning, difficult future that lies ahead for the mass humanity. You got 7 billion people living in absolute terror. They're going to die. That has an energy and yes. people, need, people need to know that.
0: Is it hard to have patience for those who uh, who don't see it? I mean, I had a girlfriend once and I was trying to explain things to her and, and you know, she finally screamed at me. She goes, listen, I haven't sat in like 50 ayahuasca ceremonies. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. (laughs) And I realized, oh, I had a blind spot. Like there was some demand that I was putting on her. She couldn't possibly understand what I was talking about because I didn't have that experience. So there was like a part of me knows like, like I have to have patience for those people who have yet to wake up or are still waking up um, and not put a demand on them that they get something that they actually can't see. Like if you're watching CNN every day cool. and you like Don Lemon and you think he's a good guy, that's the world you're living in. And it's like, how do you convince somebody who enjoys watching it and who gets something out of it that they're in a delusion and it's, you know, <laughs> you want to shake them cause, but you, in some way you have to have patience. I, I think like, how do you, do you feel that tension, that struggle?
1: Yeah, I do. I, I'm not a naturally patient person. In <laughs> fact, if I think I, if I was put on this earth, right. One life lesson, it would be patience and you can ask Uh-oh. my wife, wife and my kids, patience is the hardest thing for me. Um, you, you know, I find a place of acceptance without judgment, yeah. you know, yeah. um, if that judgment does come through for me, then it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't change the way I treat people if they have a different opinion or if I feel like, wow, they're just fast asleep and living in a place of fear. I just, I just go to acceptance and I, I let, you know, I really just let those people in their process and it, it be open to trying to help them. Yeah. Um, But there's moments in the last year. I'm like, okay, you gotta be kidding me. This is, you know, this is, we got it. Something's got to change. Something's got to give. Right. But I know that's not the energy to come through. So I, I get to a place of love in my heart. And for the most part, I stay there. Um, a good test for me is putting on the news. You know, I, every morning I drive my kids to school. So I listen to the CBC for, for three or four minutes. Um, you know, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, which is funded by the government. So it's heavy propaganda and I listen to that, and I and I see if I can stay and remain neutral. A lot, <laughs> yeah. a lot of times, a lot of times I just burst out laughing. There's been a number of occasions, and you know I I, I can't I, I find it humorous what what's yeah. what's taking place. And not to say that you know people are getting sick or not getting sick, and there's crazy things happening in the world. But I just the the way in which everything is going down in this world right now. I, it's like a Monty Python skit for me. And I, 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 there's some humor in it for me and, but there's love and there's compassion for these people. I know people in my, directly in my life that are close to me that, um, you know, I, I would love to be able to get them to see my point of view, but they would say the same thing for me. And so we just have to find acceptance and judgment. And I think that's the way forward. Uh, I try to do my best by living by example, which is for me, not living from fear, but trying to live from a place of real trust and connection.
0: You're 44. You're you've retired as a shaman, now working as a farmer. Can you see uh, a time in the future? I mean, you got a long life ahead of you, and the, the shamans can you know they go can come go. back at any time. There's 80 year old <laughs> Shipibo maestros down in Peru. Uh, can you imagine uh, maybe maybe finding a new way to relate to the work or? um which is you know not working so much or is, is that a possibility do you think in your future
1: um yes uh, I do I've recently got an email from a couple of people that had dreams that I came back mm-hmm. and um which kind of was like oh interesting uh, I'm definitely not there yet but I did say to someone recently if I ever do come back I'm coming back in a different way um, right. Smaller groups, very specific healing for maybe very challenging cases. And uh, and then so this person wrote an email saying, hey, I had a, uh, a dream that you told me that you were going to come back in a different way, in a very specific way with healing for harder cases. So exactly what I had said to the person, this person across the country dreamt of it. So that was like, whoa, okay, there's something happening. Yeah, um, It's not happening any time, you know, in the near future. But um, I, I definitely... I definitely, it's definitely crossed my mind these last few months was like, uh, what, in what way could I do this that would feed me and only feed me and not, not take from me the way in which I was doing it before. So, and I think that's, what's going to come for me in time and just more maturity and understanding of, of, you know, what's important in my life, which is healing and also family. I got to, it's just that finding that balance. Mm -hmm. it's not an easy thing.
0: Do you have any curiosity about the other kinds of ceremonies that are going on out there? I mean, I just did a ceremony last weekend and, uh, they, they had some Shipibo, but they, it was a mix of styles, some kind of more Santo Daime and then just kind of like a mix of different things that was, uh, less, less about, um, it was more celebratory. It was using it. So it was very uplifting, very heart opening and Yoshi did a, a pretty intense, you know, 90 minutes of, of Lakota music in the middle of it. And I know that's not exactly what you do, but are you, are you curious about, about those kind of ceremonies? And
1: yeah, there's a, there's a level of curiosity for me. Uh, I, you know, i I think I've been very much a traditionalist my whole career. Yeah. I really saw so much value and power and connection in the way that the people were taught to use it by the plants. Um, but, you know, in time, I started to realize that there's, there's room for a lot of different ways of doing things. And, um, I, I, I'm really not that experienced in, um, the broad spectrum of ayahuasca. You know, I've sat with, you know, maybe 15, 20 different practitioners along the way, but they're all very similar styles. Right. But I don't have a lot of experience even outside of ayahuasca with peyote and, um, you know, San Pedro, Wachuma. I, I don't have experience outside of ayahuasca. Um, so there's a curiosity for me, you know, there is a curiosity uh, for me now, when, um, when, when that dream comes, when those dreams mm-hmm. come to say, go drink with this person or right. go use that medicine, I'll do it. But I kind of wait for those dreams to, to guide me on which medicines to, or which style or which person to, to learn from. Um, I, I really want to hone in on that dream time to learn in that way.
0: That's amazing. You keep talking about dream time and and, and that's, that's how you orient your life in general. That's where you get your information from. You, you trust your intuition, what comes to you in your dreams, especially if it comes repeatedly or comes strongly. And then you follow that. You don't, you don't question it. You don't doubt it.
1: No, that's especially now that I'm not drinking ayahuasca 250 times a year. That's my, that's my ceremony every night. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I get, I get everything I need from that dream time, whether it's you know, if I'm not feeling well, I get, I get a remedy, I get a medicine, I get a plant, someone in my family or someone in the community, um, you know, what to do next in terms of my food forest and my gardening and the farming, it all, it can all come through there. Um, and it's just about tuning yourself to be able to receive that information as much as possible. But I believe wholeheartedly in it. And uh, I still got a long way to go to be able to master all, you know, it's not easy to interpret some of these dreams. I had a few last night. I was just like, I don't even know where to start. Um, but that's where I, you know, hopefully I have people around me like Cordell who you, you yeah. interviewed and other people that are, are, um, learning dreams as well to get, to get a different perspective.
0: Dave, thank you. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, man. I really appreciate, uh, your generosity and, and speaking so, uh, openly and honestly about, uh, about the medicine, about your experience with the medicine, but also just about yourself and your relationship to it. It's great to hear because, you know, when, when you're in ceremony with you, you are, you're, you're the shaman, right? And so it's, you're, you're in a role and, um, I don't, I never wanted to burden you too much with, with questions because I know you're, you're carrying a lot. So it's like a real uh, thrill to be able to like connect with you in this way and ask you questions and kind of pry into your process and your understanding of things. It's really, it's awesome. So thank you. And thank you for sharing it with the audience.